Hello there, spooky bitches. Ashley and I have a huge surprise for you. This Saturday, October 24th at 8 o'clock Central Time, we are going live for a very extra spooky Halloween extra AF episode. We are going to be dressed up, we are going to be having a good time, and we will be reading your stories. We will be streaming live to YouTube where you can comment along. And there's still time. If you have a scary story, please send it in. We want to be scared. I want to not be able to sleep at night. I mean, honestly, I want you guys to traumatize me. Spookiest stories you have. Pretty please. (laughs) All right. We'll see you Saturday, October 24th at 8 o'clock Central. All right, guys. Enjoy. This is Movies Part 3 with Jolly J. Welcome, Giggle Water Gang, to Historical AF. I'm Kina. Good evening, boils and ghouls. Tis I, the Crypt Keeper's assistant, Jay, for the evening. And uh, we're going to make this a total scream. <laughs> I can't laugh. Okay, hey guys, that, what's was, up? that was probably the best intro I've ever had. I told you. I bow down to you, sir. Was- <laughs> mm. Yes. We are a historian and a special guest bringing you the random and funny historical movie nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear hole. Yay! Hooray! <laughs> and this week, the random word was revenge, and it was given to us <laughs> by my mother, who is a uh, oh, that's brilliant, is that brilliant, brilliant AF Patreon. So thanks, Ma. Thanks, my mom Ma. is the ultimate scary movie like connoisseur mm. she is who introduced Ooh. me to stephen king and let me watch terminator in the 80s and like all my other That's friends were like why did you get to watch that i'm like i don't know i turned out normal what happened to you <laughs> like, don't judge I, my that's, exa- that's exactly how i grew up too i mean my mom uh, she she got me into star wars and superheroes and stuff like that and also jim carrey movies but uh, when it wasn't that, it'd be me going through her VHS collection. Wow, I sound old as hell. <laughs> but it would be like the Changeling and yeah. Poltergeist and Alien and all this stuff. And then she'd let me watch Poltergeist and then I went to sleep for a week. And then, uh, yeah, no, it turned out fine. Okay, so I don't. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but the one movie that did it. Like, I watched all those, Poltergeist and It and all that. One movie that scared me was leprechaun the first one before it got funny like leprechaun in space and in hood and stuff but the first one for some reason as a kid scared the shit out of me to my mom had to go find it, a four-leaf clover so i could sleep with it <laughs> it's because he's green isn't he no it's because I, it's that scene where his nail like slits that guy's stomach and a pot of gold slithers out of it it fucked me up it's me I, gold. <laughs> I don't know why that's the movie that did it but also, my mom going outside and be like, God damn it, children looking for a four-leaf clover for me. 10 out of 10. Good points, mom. <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good mom right there. Yeah. It's embarrassing. So, another one of my deep secrets you guys know now. <laughs> and I will blackmail you later, okay? Oh, oh, I said that out loud, didn't I? Oh, shit. Okay. Forget oh. I said that. 
Yes, I'm so excited that you're going to be covering some horror movies because I think that's probably the genre that it, like really sticks. With Everybody me wanted to like in part one and two. Everybody was teetering yeah. on it, and I'm like, motherfuckers, <laughs> don't. This is mine. Don't. Yeah, I like like I said, you know, some of the earliest. Like in the eighties, had some solid horror films, and then the nineties. Oh, I scream, and I, I was like, Fuck have yes. a total. I have a total number, at least from what I gathered quickly. Um, I got a total number of the slashers yeah. done in just the eighties. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you back. You have made an appearance on some mini gabs, so yes. I'm excited to have you for a full whole episode. When you post this, it's probably going to get like immediately on fire like it's some kind of <laughs> demonic hell spawn you're just gonna so. break my platform <laughs> yeah pretty much i'll need an exorcism if anybody knows a guy i mean i'm ordained to marry people i don't know if that translates to exorcisms i should look into that though well i mean mm, i guess <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't you, know. you can just go the power of christ compels you there's a bunch and then uh you know, just dodge the pea soup and then you should be fine. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because Zeke, I guess his grandma, I think, made pea soup or something. And he always talks about it. And I'm like, mm, nah, I don't think I'm ever going to make that. I'm sorry. Nope, <laughs> I know you probably love it, but not going to happen. Not, not going to be that movie. Nope. 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 My mom mentioned when she was like, she saw it in theaters, and she said at the time, people were getting so scared, they were, like, passing out and shit. And I'm like, I don't recall ever being in a movie where people were that scared. Well, I mean, there was a whole, like, paranormal activity. Like, ooh, it's so scary that it's making people faint. But then, you know, you watch it, and you're like, meh. Yeah. Although, The Quiet Place actually kind of was a new type of eerie, just because nobody wanted to be the person to make that sound. <laughs> <laughs> I ha- that's one that I have not seen and I totally forgot. Th- okay, so back, uh, here's a little <laughs> personal challenge that I've made. I am doing a 31 day challenge. I mean, I watch horror out of season. I'm one of those people. Basically, the song by Ministry every day is like Halloween. Mm-hmm. That's my life. I'll watch it any time of the day, anywhere. I mean, at night's the best. But um, I'm just like, okay, let me just do 31 days, see movies I've never seen before, because I can just go to the classics, and because I own most of those. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to watch ones I have never seen before, like uh, Juwan the Grudge, the Japanese version. Oh, okay, yeah. That was creepy. Japanese horror Frank- is, like, very, very creepy. They've really, yeah. They've really mastered that genre. Mm-hmm. And then we butcher it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so... Just like Americanized uh, anime, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good old America. Now it's starting we're talking to become dark. About horror movies, we just want to jump in. Ah, just uh, sure, I'll jump thing. in. I'll do the <laughs> I'm too damn excited. thing. We're gonna keep it. talking about it, and then we'll talk ah, about all yeah. the stuff we're talking about. <laughs> okay, so I am gonna. Uh, my notes are all over the place. I'm gonna eventually focus on something specific, but for right now, I'm gonna do like a general overview of the history of it. Because it goes back a long fucking way. If you listen to part one, you kind of brought it up with German expression. Yeah, German expressionism. I cannot mm-hmm. fucking talk tonight. Words are hard. So, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> words are hard. TM it. Uh, <laughs> but the two biggest movies that come out of that era from the 20s specifically are Nosferatu, which 
that was just the fact that it's an unofficial adaptate or yeah, unofficial adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula and the fact that they got sued by the Stoker estates. Well, and, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, they um because it, it feels exactly like how Dracula plays out and everything. Yeah, it's supposed to be an adaptation, but they got sued and they had to just make it unofficial. And yet yeah. it's held up as one of the like classic films. That and the other one would be uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which that one, it's kind of more like the early zombie kind of film. It's, uh, what is it? Somnambulism is the term. And it kind of had like one of the first like twist endings and stuff. I don't want to ruin a very old movie. Yeah, actually, don't spoiler alert a movie from the 20s. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like, what, 100 years ago or something by now? <laughs> Jesus, yeah, how dare I? 100 years to watch that. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, people. Um, also, I haven't watched it since I was in college, so sue me, okay? Ah, this is a good part to edit out. My son's attacking me. <laughs> Children, black-eyed kids. Children of the corn. <laughs> So that was kind of the two biggest horror movies of that time. And then when it got into the 30s with the talkies is what I call the first cinema, or I guess what a lot of people call, not just me. What do I fucking know? But um, <laughs> the first cinematic universe by oh. some small company called yeah. Universal with the fucking monster movies. The classics. And actually that started, because I wrote it down, yeah. <laughs> um, it actually started in 1925 oh, with cool. The Phantom of the Opera. The one with Lon Chaney. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> no, Keena, no. stop it! <laughs> stop it! But yeah, it technically started with Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney, that classic one, but then it that was like the Incredible Hulk of that mm-hmm. one, where it kind of was early enough it didn't count. But oh, then, okay, um, yeah. but then it it was 1930. Sorry, it's really dark now. 1930 with Dracula with Bela Lugosi, the classic. Oh, yeah. That's where it started. Because um, apparently there are 30 films in that entire universe that spanned 20 years. Oh, so wow. they. Marvel ain't got shit on that. I didn't realize it was that many. I I oh, wow. I didn't know that, either. That's amazing because those were like yeah. really good. They were solid yeah. films. Because the second one was uh, Frankenstein, the thirty one. So to continue, the forties had the biggest hits. They okay. had about sixteen just in that decade. Oh wow! Alone, that's- and it was a lot of sequels, um, like Son of Dracula. Re- uh, Return of the Invisible Man, Frankenstein, Dracula, even though technically it's Frankenstein's monster, but hey, who's True. keeping score here? They um, are, the if you're wolf. at a pub trivia night, they will not accept Frankenstein. <laughs> yep, that is true. Bride of Frankenstein, probably one of the most like famous mm-hmm. sequels that I still have not seen, so don't at me, people. I am oh, on Twitter, wow. but don't at me. Um... <laughs> But uh, the the Wolfman was oh, actually yeah. from 1940. Fuck, I didn't write it down. Um, or did I? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, fuck. I, th- I want to say 1942 was when that was. 
And then the 50s is kind of where they stopped doing it. They ended it with the creature from the Black Lagoon. And then they, I guess, also capped it off with the Abbott and Costello meets the blank monster comedies. Like, Abbott and Costello meets the, or meets Frankenstein, uh, meets the Invisible Man, all those uh, fun stuff. So that's where that capped off and that. Well, that um, makes sense because in the world, that's it kind of yeah. paused with World War II. And then this is kind of like after that. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. It was a weird time. And then 50s, kind of the start of the alien genre where like, you know, the thing from outer space where the thing was based off of and the fly. You got Vincent Price starting to do a lot of schlocky classics. Yes. Yes, it's me, Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I, I didn't do a lot of research between the 50s and the 60s. It's kind of just, that's what it pretty much was, was just uh, alien Mm sci-fi. And then the 60s kind of started getting a little bit more of a free reign. That's when Italy started making a lot of films uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. That's when we started seeing, like, zombie movies starting to become a thing. George Romero in America doing mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead. Oh, like a yeah. classic that still holds up. Yeah. The fact it... that it's public domain, it just kind of, just, well, that's interesting. Uh, and we go into the 70s, which I would say is the start of what people call the golden age of horror because we got, oh, where do we begin? Um, the remake of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers with uh, oh, Donald yeah. Sutherland and Leonard Nimoy. May he rest in peace, Spock. Um, yeah. Fucking, uh, which, that's the one I watched, and I thought that was, cr- I, hang on, my ADD's kicking in now. I think also Jeff Goldblum is in that movie, I want to say. I think it had, like, a small part. I don't it remember. Fact check. Fact check, because I did kind of off script right here. Do 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 do. yeah. Oh, that's not a word. Okay, body. <laughs> Invasion of the booby snatchers. <laughs> I put bitty. <laughs> <laughs> Invasion of the bitty, itty bitty, tiny whitey. This, this is where we just riff, you know. It's just riff. Yeah. Ninety seventy. <laughs> Was it ninety seventy four? Seventy eight. Seventy eight. Yeah, Donald but, Sutherland, Jeff okay, Goldblum, then. yeah, yeah, I was right about something. <laughs> well, that's cool. I didn't know that. I need no, to I was... really start. Re- oh, we need to. We need to have a club. We'll start a club right now. We're gonna have a classic horror movie club. Because <laughs> I, I am so down. Them. I am. That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I can stream them. We can all watch them together. We can comment along like we do on Patreon. <gasps> See, I totally want to do that. And I've been trying to get... I'm starting to get my girlfriend into horror. I don't know where to start. I keep saying, like, oh, I'm going to start with a thing. That's a little too hardcore to start with. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, here's this really graphic horror film for you. Yeah. Just, you'll enjoy it. Just, just let it happen. Oh, <laughs> That is by far my favorite horror film. And I'm going to talk about it later. But the 70s, I'm going to forget a lot of fucking things. But um, the late 70s, that led to like Stephen King getting famous with Carrie and one of his first like horror novels. So mm. that uh, was a, a movie by Brian De Palma that 
led to one of the most pornographic openings to a movie I've ever fucking seen, but, oh my god, but still classic movie that surprisingly has John Travolta. What? Yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah, he's in there. John Travolta's like the... This one has to happen. I I don't know as much as I thought I did. I am ashamed. And then Jaws in 75... You know, some people would say, oh, it's just a thriller. Oh, it's just an adventure. But it also technically is horror. Yeah. Because, you know, Spielberg did want to just go for just cheap, you know, just like whatever you can see is scarier. Yeah. it's Because it leaves up to the imagination. Yeah, it's very, it's creeping on that psychological thriller because you can't see what's under you and he's always somewhere. So it's. Like getting in your head and the music, really. As soon as you oh, hear the God. music, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, it's very scary just the anticipating. I yeah. think it's. And I, I mean, I watched that the other day, or not. No, that was like a month ago or something, <laughs> but I watched Jaws and I'm like, this still, like, just Ugh. gets me pumped. I'm like, yeah, this is an awesome, awesome so movie. You know, I was afraid of it when I was a kid. <laughs> I used to think there were sharks in the lake. Oh, my God. My sister told me. me that there were sharks, and then she also told me that the Loch Ness monster had a cousin in the lake we grew up on. And so I would refuse to go in the deep water because I thought it was going to eat me. Because <laughs> she was like, "It only yep. eats children." And I'm like, God damn it, Heather! <laughs> <laughs> it was like, "No, no, I'm good." Yeah, we went to the Gulf Shores, and the whole time, my sister and my cousin kept telling me that Jaws was going to eat me. Was the only eight kids. <laughs> And so I, my mom would be like, let's go in the water. And she'd pick me up and I would just scream. And she's like, she didn't know until I was an adult what happened. And I remember my cousin actually was like, this has been haunting me my whole life. I'm so sorry I did that to you. (laughs) So, yeah, exactly. Jaws is just nightmare fuel. Um, Speaking of nightmare fuel, uh, the one movie that kind of just surpassed everything was a little fucking movie by William Friedkin called uh la exorcisto Ooh, i'm gonna yeah. sound all fancy with it <laughs> um probably still touted as one of the scariest films ever made or one of the fucking most boring movies ever depending on who you talk to uh, kind of a running theme with horror is is it really scary or does it depend on the person i think it depends on the person that's true I think it's a good horror film. I don't, I'm not scared by it, but I can see where somebody else is. But no, that started a chain reaction in itself. Uh, and I'll kind of go more into this when I talk about subgenres of horror, because they it's just like metal. There's just a bunch. Mm-hmm. But it started a lot of possession slash exorcism films. Oh, those creepy which you, <laughs> Yeah, which are just like everywhere nowadays that's like mm-hmm. one easy cash grab for horror that's true yeah. um so now let's just segue to possibly the greatest decade ever and the greatest decade for said horror films the fucking 80s <laughs> hungry like the wolf trailer we're gonna talk about one of my favorite subgenres, and this is mainly what i'm gonna blab on about slashers yes now for those who don't know what a slasher film is kind of the most generic breakdown of it is it's a movie where it's in a specific location it could be like a camp or a house or something and there's like a killer it could be you know either the camera view of the killer or whatever but it's someone that is just basically killing 
teens or just people in general, kind of one of the tropes is it's usually teens just because that just plays on the fear like, oh, if you were to, you know, have sex before you're married, you're going to die. That's kind of, I guess, a hidden (laughs) message within all horror films. The killer could have a very conventional weapon like a knife or they can have a drill. Or a chainsaw. Or a, ch- or a chainsaw. <laughs> that was another one I was going to bring up. Stop getting in my head. No. Or, <laughs> from my favorite franchise, a fucking machete. Yes. <sighs> Friday the 13th. So, the one thing I did want to mention are the tropes. Mm-hmm. With one being the very odd weapon choices, because I think each killer movie has to have like oh this is our weapon oh this is our weapon we're we're gonna use a like slumber party massacre uses a drill and uh, slumber party massacre 2 is a guitar drill oh because that was a really fucking weird ass movie um elm street either shit that's on my list (laughs) for all those who don't know shutter is a really good uh, streaming site for just horror films Oh, and sometimes they might have thrillers on there, but yeah, it's only like five bucks a month or something. But they have like a bunch of good classic or cheesy movies. They um have originals. They have The Color Out of Space, one of the oh. newer um, Lovecraft adaptations with Nicolas Cage, Woo! kind of bringing it back from last uh, last episode. But yeah, the drill or uh, chainsaw, finger knives from Freddy. But yeah, it's conventional weapons, a lot of gore. I think all of them are trying to top each other with, oh, how bloody can we make this? And how creative can we make the kills? And I think that's one of the most interesting things about the slashers are just the fucking kills. Yeah. Like, like that's how Friday the 13th is kind of memorable for, like, the harpoon gun going into some chick's eye. Or... The sleeping bag kill from Jason X. Yeah. I've seen all of them. And even if they get funny, they're still good. Because some of the like the later ones yeah. get a little bit funnier. Because they're just like yeah. less scary, more I funny. Mean, Friday the 13th Part 7 is technically Jason versus Carrie. I mean, and ugh, fucking Jason takes Manhattan. There's this one <laughs> kill where he just punches some guy's head off. And just a clean like flies into the trash can i'm like okay this is that kind of a movie <laughs> wonderful a little bit of campy so good. oh yeah no it, that's the one thing about some of the horror films is they're gonna be campy as hell you gotta just know what you're going into yeah. a lot of the freaking slashers are campy as hell you gotta roll um, with it another constant is nudity lots of boobage yeah. Uh, that is a given that kind of falls into the misogyny of horror films. Unfortunately, that was a thing and might still be a thing. But I mean, obviously, that's a trope that's kind of been played out, but it's kind of definitely common. You can be like, OK, how many boobs are in this movie? I wonder, <laughs> like, how many boobs are in Friday the 13th Part 3? Answer is two. I don't. I actually don't know the real number. I haven't seen it in a while, but I'll just go with two. And then the final girl, which is usually the final. I guess it doesn't have to always be a girl, but it's usually a girl. And it's usually the virgin who, you know, is kind of meek and stuff. And she's the last one to survive. And then she has to get revenge on the killer. And then, you know, that's kind of the subplot of Friday the 13th. I mean, Actually, the main plot is all about revenge. 
Uh, I don't want to spoil it, you know, for those who didn't see it, but here's one for you that's a fun fact. Jason isn't the killer in part one. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but the whole subplot is all about revenge. And then, of course, when the final girl gets her revenge on said killer, you know, it just, just shows that violence it's just very breeds formulaic. more violence. Yeah, it's, it's like a formula. A, it's such a formulaic genre, but it's so entertaining but when it they can works. get creative. Yeah, yes. it just works. It's always good. Um, well, the fact that, you know, since 1980, which was the first Friday the 13th, there has just been, you know, a sequel every year. Same thing with, like, you know, Fast and the Furious. It's just, like, it just comes out every year. With that, that also spread a lot of copycats. Because that yeah. always happens where they're just trying to be like, hey, what's cash on that buck? Granted, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as famous as Friday the 13th. But, you know, you got, like, Sleepaway Camp is probably the most popular one just for its uh, twist ending probably i would say very kind of progressive in terms of it but again that's one i don't want to spoil but i would say eh, it's okay <laughs> um one of I them need, are just okay I need to have you as like a movie critic and like your range will be like eh, to like eh, <laughs> okay to all right yeah that was that was good oh but yeah but kind of what's interesting is there's always a constant debate about what was the first slasher, which kind of ties back to the 60s with Hitchcock and Psycho. Yeah. And some people say that that was technically the first slasher. There was another movie around that same year called Peeping Tom, and it's kind of the same thing. They were kind of both around the same time. I don't know exactly by how many months, but they were the same year. So, yeah. If anyone wants to Google it and then tell me in the comments, that would be nice. That's kind of where the question starts. Like, which one of those kind of started this genre that kind of laid dormant until 78 with my favorite horror director, John Carpenter, <laughs> and Halloween. Yes, I got him behind my head. If you're a patron, you can watch this, but I have a a green screen now, no big deal. But it's all horror movies. So I got like, I got Michael and Jason right by my head in Jaws. Yeah. Like popping out of my bun. And Freddy. Just hello. <laughs> that's where I mean when I was doing my research, that's where a lot of people said like that's technically like the first like big slasher movie that kind of started a lot of the tropes because Mm -hmm. of jamie lee curtis being the final girl and the virgin because of course there was nudity in it and then everybody that had sex died you know and uh you know that whole thing again because boomers of course um (laughs) very anti-sex goddamn boomers of course we had the the, uh, many a sequel until jason blum in 2018, decided to say, hey, what's retcon? Literally every other fi- uh, Halloween movie, aside from the first. That sound good to everybody? No? Okay. I don't care. I, I still have a bit of a problem with that, but <laughs> can't retcon a whole freaking franchise. But one of the... Uh, <laughs> the thing is, the 80s had probably still one of the greatest eras in horror, because not just slashers, which another famous slasher, because I totally, f- how can I forget this? Elm Street. 
Yeah. With Freddy Krueger. I mean, rest in peace, Wes. God, I can't fucking say his name. Wes Craven. There we go. Oh, Holy crap. Yes. That was a yeah. that was a tough loss. Yeah. He was a genius. Yeah, he was a genius. And the fact that he took that from a nightmare and made it one of the most like critically acclaimed horror films that's still like led to one of the either the scariest or the funniest horror <laughs> villains. Yes. Depending on what movie you're watching. <clears throat> Fun fact, uh, Frank Darabont, who did the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile and the Mist. So three of the better Stephen King adaptations mm-hmm. and the Walking Dead show. He wrote the screenplay for Elm Street 3. Oh, that's, yeah. that is a fun fact. Holy crap, I didn't know that. Yes, which I would say... Uh, Dream Warriors is the subtitle for that one, and that's one of the better ones mm-hmm. of the sequels. But no, we have other classic 80s films, like one of my favorites, which is uh, Reanimator. Uh, I don't know if you, if anybody's ever seen Reanimator. Oh, uh, my it's screen been has a frozen. long time. <laughs> I have not I, seen I it. I just watched it recently again, and I'm just like, holy crap, this movie's good. Stuart Gordon, the director, he actually just died this year. Aww. But he did a lot of Lovecraft adaptations. Oh, okay, that was his first. Was Reanimator, and obviously, in my opinion, his best. Got some of John Carpenter's classic movies. Uh, one just that isn't horror, but still a classic '80s film is uh, Escape from New York with oh, Snake Plissken yeah. with Kurt Russell. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then two of his best horror films came out that year with. My favorite, The Thing, mm-hmm. um, which still holds up in just terms of the effects and everything. And then They Live, which uh, had the classic line, I came here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> Roddy Roddy Piper. Yes! You got The Evil Dead, the first yeah. two Evil Dead movies, uh, Sam Raimi's beginning and it's like who knew he would work on spider-man and now dr strange yeah there's just way too many movies from the 80s for me to all list them all Uh, going back to the 50s you know we had the thing as a remake um another one that was a remake from a 50s film is actually there's two one being the fly oh the david cronenberg remake with jeff goldblum which is probably one of the best body horror films which is a subgenre, very direct type of genre that was more prominent in the 80s than anything mm-hmm. uh, with people like Clive Barker and David Cronenberg, primarily Cronenberg. If you've seen his movies, you would know what the fuck I'm talking about. If you've seen The Fly <laughs> or Videodrome or, hell, even Naked Lunch, still, I mean, that's not horror, but and still there. But there's that, and then there's The Blob remake which that one that had a good bait and switch in the middle of the movie if you know what i'm talking about but still like that was one of the ones i watched when i was young and just seeing how it would dissolve the people in its blobness i was just like oh that's terrifying (laughs) and it's blobness Um, it's blobness you know, we also got like family friendly ones like Gremlins and oh, Poltergeist, yeah. which technically you can count as horror, even though it's like Gremlins. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a horror film? It's both. 
it's Spielbergy enough to count. Yeah. Aww, I and love so, And then Gremlins spawned a whole like gremlin-y subgenre in itself that led to Critters, which oh, was around yeah. the same time. And Critters had its own franchise. I just watched that recently on HBO Max. Eh, that was okay. <laughs> eh. You get what you come for. But, you know, it also led to some bad movies, obviously. And, like, not everything's fucking perfect. I kind of steer clear from the bad ones, so um, I don't really have a big list. Yeah, there was a oversaturation in the 80s, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, there was about, oh, God, I did the math here, 178 wow. slashers made in just the 80s. So, yeah, obviously that kind of killed it a little yeah. bit. I mean, because, yeah, the late 80s had some good stuff here and there, but they were from other genres. Mm-hmm. Because everybody was trying to copy the slasher genre. You know, it got even the ones that kind of spoof on the whole holiday killer. Like, there's New Year's Evil and April Fool's Day. And because of Halloween, it's like, you know, I'm surprised that there's not a Columbus Day one. <laughs> I'd kind of be timely with today's uh, holiday and big air quotes. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy! Um, fuck that guy. But no, that kind of led to the decline uh, and just horror in general because of the oversaturation. Just everybody got tired of it. Mm-hmm. Then movies like... Because the 90s kind of brought a revamp a little bit with movies like Sounds of the Lambs. I don't consider it horror. There are some that do. I understand why, but that's more of a thriller. And I kind of might have a rant about the <laughs> the two bedfellows. But the man who kind of really brought back the genre, you know, slashers and just everything in general, was Wes Craven yeah. with, you know, El Screamo, <laughs> which is also considered a parody of itself because it does play on the tropes of the just the slasher genre in general the whole randy going over this is what you must not do in a horror film Mm -hmm. that whole speech it's like that is pretty much on the nose and it was such a genius movie i get why it spawned as many sequels as it did and the fact that we have another we have a new one coming out next year I am so excited. <laughs> I am wary just because oh, it's coming out in January. And January is a very bad month for horror films. That's oh, usually the yeah. shitty ones. Well, so, who knows with COVID? Nobody can do anything. I, so we'll that, see. That is very true. That, so good. It just, it, yeah. anybody that grew up in the 90s, it's your jam. It was so good. What's your favorite scary movie? Yes. Ghostface yeah. is. Iconic. <laughs> he's like reason. he's an icon. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um that, and then also the Sixth Sense. Yes. Kind of brought back the ghost film mm-hmm. with Shyamalama Ding Dong. Um, <laughs> kind of you know that's what was kind of his staple. I mean, I know he did like Unbreakable and everything. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that was after. Yeah. Was no, after. yeah, that was his. Yeah, that was two thousand. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Time um, has no meaning. <laughs> and I honestly forgot about The Sixth Sense, but when doing this, I'm like, oh yeah, that came out in 99. I forgot. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of led back to the twist that everybody fucking knows at this point and fucking fuck 51st Dates for ruining the ending for that for me. <laughs> and then um, 
and then jizz in my pants by the Lonely Island for ruining that as well. So, yeah. So oh. I, I digress. But yeah, that kind of led that kind of led to the revival that kind of still are going through. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of like where one is a big hit and leads to a big franchise like Saw. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you think about the whole franchise, you gotta admit the first one is at least like it it, it earns its place. Yeah. As I wave my arm around, um, <laughs> fucking, and that was what two thousand four. God, two thousands had a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. I didn't write down a lot, but more it's recent okay. ones. We'll get into where, it. <laughs> uh, I bet you are. I bet you are. <laughs> but more or less talking about like recently where there's like this artsy style that's been kind of picking up with movies like The Witch, which mm. I, I don't know. It, for all those who've seen it, either they're like, oh, this movie is the most boring piece of shit ever. Or it's a really effective horror film and it's just a slow burn. I that's my thinking of it. I think it the end it went from zero to a hundred at the end and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, director Robert Eggers, who also did the lighthouse, which was last year with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Um <laughs> yeah. weird fucking movie. Another big one is It Follows. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a really big one from 2014. Um, the Conjuring, which oh, yeah. is my one of my favorite horror films of late, just because I think it was an effective use of terror. Yeah. I, don't, um, I know that was based off the Warrens, and I had more of a pickle to grind as you grind one pickle over The Conjuring 2, which is based off the Enfield Poltergeist case. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, it's listed as England's most like or the most well documented I don't want to say like exorcism but like just haunting in general because they took so many like photographs and recordings and stuff and this was in the 70s um mm-hmm. but the conjuring 2 took that case because they like um the Warrens were only involved for like a day but in the movie they're like oh yeah we're going to be here the whole time and, yeah. you know, faith is going to bring us all together. And there's this demon. And, you know, it's just they kind of played a lot on the Warrens being the heroes. And I'm like, mm. but yeah. the first one still good, regardless mm-hmm. of that being a franchise now, which is weird. I saw that in <sighs> theaters and the woman next to me was the most hilarious person because she didn't just jump, but she'd be like, oh, Sweet Jesus! Sweet <laughs> oh, Jesus! Oh, Bath Shiva! Oh no! Yes, it was the greatest uh, reactions. It really made the whole movie for me. <laughs> oh my god, that's great! But there's you know Paranormal Activity, which was a franchise, a plethora mm-hmm. of Stephen King adaptations. There's Ari Aster, who did Hereditary oh, and yeah. Midsummer, which are both on Amazon. They're I think they're good. I mean, mm-hmm. Midsummer's more of a a slow burn, like, oh, yeah. this doesn't feel right. Oh, this doesn't feel right. And then, and boom, the bear. And then, <laughs> what the f- bear. <laughs> and then my favorite, Mike Flanagan, who did two Stephen King adaptations. He did Gerald's Game on Netflix, and then he did Doctor Sleep, yeah. which I still have not seen. I own I it. I liked it, yeah. 
I read the book because I wanted to read the book first, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to see this, and then I never got around to it. Now I'm glad that there's a director's cut, but now I'm like, oh, do I watch the theatrical or do I watch the director's cut? What if I hate the theatrical? I don't want to watch the director's cut. It's a whole thing. Yeah, I thought the movie was good because it really mixed the book, but also kind of made the... Kubrick movie makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that. Oh shit, that was another important one that I forgot from the eighties. Fuck Kubrick's The Shining adaptation, which is the most infamous or one of the most infamous adaptations for how much Stephen King just fucking hated it, and the <laughs> fact that he calls him out twice in yeah. his books about that. I actually got the mini series, and I've been trying to get Zeke to watch it. Because I like, I, I remember watching it when it came out, and I remember it scaring the shit out of me. But you know, uh, everything from back then you watch now, and you're like, I don't know why that scared me. <laughs> We've been, yeah, we're about halfway through it, but that was so long because I think Stephen King put way too much into the miniseries. He probably yeah. could have shortened it just a, t- a smidge, just a, just a smidge. Mike Flanagan, the one thing that I loved the most out of him was the Haunting a Hill House. Oh, the, yeah. Um, first technically the first season on netflix i think that is by far one of the best haunted house things ever made just mm-hmm. because of his usage of having the ghost in the background and it's more like it doesn't focus on it so you see it and then you're like oh oh you don't you don't see that oh oh fuck oh fuck <laughs> oh now they're gone oh fuck yeah um, i think that's effective i think that's more effective than anything is that terror yeah it's like um, it ramps up your anxiety because literally anything in the background could be something happening and yeah the character doesn't know it but you do it's it's brilliant kind of the thing i want to cap off on is the fact that it's a very subjective genre or subjective Mm -hmm. or objective however you want to put it but it's one where it's if you're not into it, it's not gonna it's not gonna get you. Yeah. And the fact that it is such a broad genre, you got fucking body horror, you got slashers, you got the Japanese horror films. Yeah. Um, you got the science fiction stuff like Alien, and then you got the you got the found footage genre, oh, which yeah. got really popular because of the Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. And then you got the exorcism movies, you got the creature features. You got, unfortunately, one that's kind of thrown in there is the torture stuff, like Hostel and Saw. Oh, yeah. Uh, Not my favorite. There is obviously horror comedies, which can also be very subjective. Like, you can watch a Frank Henenlotter movie. He's another one of my favorite horror directors. He did the Basket Case trilogy, Frankenhooker. (laughs) <laughs> which is one of my favorites um and brain damage um just very silly movies that you know can give you a good spoop um <laughs> horror films you got Shaun of the dead which yes. ties into zombie movies um you know george romero's original dead trilogy with dawn day and night or no, no no hang on night then dawn then day there we go yeah um zombie land being kind of making the funny out of it. I just Poor rewatched Bill that. Murray. I love Poor Bill Murray. Murray. Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> oh yeah, the Quiet Place being another like famous recent horror film. Yeah. Fuck. What else is there? Um, psychological, and that kind of leads into thrillers as well. But um, I think those are that and Haunted House can 
go really well if done right, but I think messing with your head is one of the best uses of horror. Because yeah. then you start questioning everything like, hey, is this right? This does not feel right. Oh my god, what's going on? Oh my fucking god. Like, the <laughs> slow deterioration, like in The Shining, like in The Lighthouse, just that just you're perfectly fine and then by the end of it you're just a stark raving maniac <laughs> but and to cap it off not every horror film is a horror film it can be considered horror but it might just be a thriller yeah. like psycho like sounds of the lambs to me they're thrillers it's not like there are scary elements but it's more like getting your heart pounding, like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? That's a fucking thriller. Yeah. But they're, they're bedmates. They're they're literally laying... Uh, I'm going to go with this analogy. Bear with me, folks. <laughs> they're, they're laying in bed, staring at each other while they're jerking each other off. That's how close they are together. <laughs> That's how close they are. It's It can be interchangeable depending on the movie, but a lot of thrillers are considered horror films. Like... Mm-hmm. It's like fuck, but yeah, uh, rant over. <laughs> horror is a fantastic genre. It is. It is amazing. I'm a big fan. It's one of my favorite. Now you talk. <laughs> now you go. <laughs> Hello, friends. It's that time again where I talk about how much I love modern fertility. <laughs> Are you a uterus haver in your 20s or 30s? Are you wanting to have kids in the next five years? Are you trying to get pregnant right now? Are you considering freezing your eggs for future you problems? Perhaps you're just wondering about your hormones and curious if they're imbalanced. If you answered yes to any of these things, then you are going to love modern fertility as much as I do. I've mentioned in the past that I did modern fertility and it was so incredibly easy. They send you a packet They have it in written instructions and video, and you just drop a little blood on this card thingamajig, and you mail it in, and I got my results in less than 10 days, and I printed out my little packet thing, showed up at my endocrinologist, and I was like, here, help me, and boom, I was diagnosed with PCOS, like, that day, it was insane, because, like, one in 10 women have PCOS, so it's sadly incredibly common. Hormone tests are pricey. If you don't have insurance, they're going to be over $1,500. But with Modern Fertility, it's just $159. And like I said, it's super easy. It comes to your home. You don't even have to wear pants. What else can you ask for? And if you have an FSA or an HSA, which is incredibly hard to say for some reason, (laughs) they also accept that. So if you want $10 off your Modern Fertility test, go to modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Again, that is modernfertility.com slash historical AF. That was so good. You really cracked me up. That was really in-depth, and there's so many movies that I need to watch now. So, for real, I'm going to watch them, and then I'm just going to post a link for everybody to watch it with me. So, stay tuned. Yes, Um, I'm down. All right. So, for my segment, it's going to be part three of yeah. movies because I had no idea what I was getting into when I was like, I'll do the history of film. Jesus Christ, Pasquina. It was a lot. So last week, we stopped stopped at like the 80s with the emergence of Nicolas Cage. So we're going to just start there. The 80s were less experimental 
and less original and they're more formulaic. There was some bursts of new movies coming out because they're trying to capitalize on new special effects and CGI techniques. But for the most part, they weren't taking a lot of risks because at that point, movie tickets get this for $3. <laughs> Can you even imagine? $3. And then movies were costing $18 million, So they weren't really making a whole lot of money. And they were afraid to take risks at this point. Which I don't blame them because $3. Jesus. I don't remember ever paying that little. Tree fitty. Yeah. Except for that time I worked in a movie theater and I got to see everything for free. That was amazing. Mm, I wish I had that. Yeah. It was great until you work in a movie theater and you realize all the weird shit you have to do. Like, I found the weirdest stuff. Like, we found so many things. Like, just underwear. And then, like, they just leave it there. And I'm like, but why? And like in popcorn boxes. That's gross. And nobody wanted to investigate why there was underwear in a popcorn box. You're just like, oh no. <laughs> and the one time I found a condom was Star Wars. And I was like, really? That's Which one? Get- it was like the f- first of the prequels. Yeah. So I would I- get it for Attack of the Clones, but not <laughs> the Phantom Menace. But I was like, really? This movie is what gets you going? All right. All right, like, <laughs> it's the, it's that reveal of the double lightsaber. That's what gets him off. Or Jar Jar. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> or Jar Jar. Oh yeah. Also, oh, that's my gripe. It was Misa, that uh, Misa so horny. Misa. <laughs> Misa so horny. <laughs> yeah, it was a wild time. Wild time working in a movie theater. I loved it. I love movies so much. It was a great time. But just the stuff that you find left behind, you're like, what? <laughs> Why? (laughs) Anyway, so this era was also characterized by the introduction of high concept films with cinematic. No, that's not a word. Cinematic plots that could easily be characterized by one or two sentences. So this is the emergence of the tagline. You know the oh yeah, good old tagline. Yeah. Um, fuck. What was the one for the thing? Um, Oh, I forgot. Man is the warmest place. Like, ooh, that's a good tagline. Jaws 2 had one of the best ones. Just when you think it's safe to go back into the water. Yes, that one was... Yeah, so when I was a teen librarian, one of my programs I would do was, like, movie trivia, because I'm a nerd. And so a lot of times I would read out taglines, be like, tell me what movie. So I'm going to do that to you right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Don't miss the climax. Giggity. <laughs> uh fuck that's a vague one relatively recent and it's more sexual than you might be thinking right now hint 50 shades of gray i fucking i i was thinking i'm like okay it better not be 50 shades (laughs) i can't take twilight fan fiction seriously so that was not my jam but i yeah no that was my jam to each other. The next one, The Bitch is Back. I'm thinking Kill Bill Volume 2 for some reason. Uh, go a little bit more your past genre you were just talking about. It's a horror movie. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this The Bitch house. is Back. I don't know. Alien 3. I was surprised. I didn't remember that yeah. being it, but I was like, that's funny. 
<laughs> you know, I, I the one movie that I, I used to watch a lot on VHS was Hot Shots, which was a Top Gun parody with uh, Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the, the previews that they had. One of them was Alien 3, which poor David Fincher. Um <laughs> Being his like one of his first movies, he went on and did some fantastic movies. I think I remember that, but that's way too obscure. That's <laughs> my right. that's my apology. This is if you don't know this one, it's fine. I didn't know this one either. Trapped in time, surrounded by evil, low on gas. Oh, e army darkness. Oh, okay, you, you got that one. All right, her life was in their hands, and now her toe is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I have the uh, Funko Pop. I thought it was on my desk, but it is not. It's on my fireplace. <laughs> I, have the Funko- I feel like this is one that I've seen and that I you, don't. I'm sure no. you have. It's a classic. The Big Lebowski. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that was a tagline for I that. I didn't know that either. So the next one, Nice Planet. We'll take it. Oh, shit. That's Mars Attacks. Yes! I remember seeing that in theaters. <laughs> so weird. That I was one of the <laughs> That's a movie that I had to get used to cast like famous people dying in a movie like that and Reservoir Dogs were the two that's like, yeah. hey, not everybody's going to live that you like. <laughs> sure. The next one makes Ben-Hur look like an epic. Oh. Classic comedy. Makes um. Ben-Hur look like an epic. Oh, shit. I've definitely seen that and I it's on the poster. I'm sure you have. It's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, fuck. That's right. Which I love I find that movie. hilarious because of everything they had, like content wise, to put on the poster, that was it. So. Great trilogy. <laughs> That's not a word. <laughs> trilogy. Trilogy. Great trilogies come in threes. <laughs> oh, uh, fuck. That's probably Scream 3. Oh, close scary movie three. I fucking knew it. Oh, <laughs> god damn it. That was a movie that kind of ruined Scream for me. The last one, a romantic comedy, but with zombies. Warm bodies. Ah, oh, before that one. Uh, Technically, that it was what that was, but this is before that. <laughs> it's got a pub in it. Oh, shit. Shaun of the Dead. Yes! God damn it. Oh, I love that movie so much. I forgot that that was a tagline, but I knew that was a tagline. Anywho, so in the 80s, we're still in the 80s. We got a while ago. Oh, my God. Cable TV networks, direct broadcast satellites, and VHS in the 80s encouraged broader distribution of films. And this was also the time when the Supreme Court ruled in the case of Universal versus Sony Betamax in 1984. The home videotaping for personal use was copyright infringement. So any of us that remember the VHSs that had the little, like, FBI is going to arrest you if you do this. That's when that happened. And the 80s is when HBO developed the first made-for-TV movie, and that was the Terry Fox story in 1983. It became the first cable network to win an Oscar for Best Documentary Feature for Down and Out in America in 1986, and then an Emmy for Dear America Letters Home from Vietnam in 1987. By the 1990s hit, all major pay TV cable networks had expanded their output, creating original series, films, and miniseries, along with some documentaries, stand-up comedy, and sports programming. 
Okay, and this is about the time that multi-track Dolby stereo sound and the THX sound system, named after George Lucas's first feature film, and the Dolby SR spectral recording, all were designed to produce higher quality of sound, noise reductions, round sound, and other special effects. These were introduced and advertised as special feature films such as Amadeus in 1984 and then Aliens in 1986. Through the Yay, best good sound. Oh, I know, right? Amadeus. And then- it's still is good. It is. <laughs> and the the director's week... cut's better, though. Oh, I don't know if I've watched that. It's three hours long. <laughs> That's probably why I haven't watched that. <laughs> yeah. ADD is really all. Woo. And the first movie to be shown in a THX certified auditorium was Return of the Jedi in 1983. It's all because of those Ewoks. <laughs> Harkening back to the last episode. Yes, it's so funny. So my sister Eliza, she lived in Chicago. So she only spent summers with me. And I it had been like late 80s or something. Like I don't know, 90s whatever when Jedi came out. And for some reason like we were obsessed with Ewoks. So we would be like each Ewawa to each other. And I don't know, it's we still do it and I don't know why we do it, but it's not even the that's best adorable. Star Wars. But yeah, that's my my bonding experience with my sister. Each Ewawa. She does really good. Con- controversial thought, but I thought The Last Jedi and Rogue One were some of the best Star Wars movies. I like Jedi. I did. And I know everybody's like, Empire's the best. I'm like, I, I mean, it's good. Yes, that is my favorite yeah. one, but I have to have one from each of the series, like Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith, the best of the prequel trilogy. Yes, it's uh, granted, like, I'm a Star Wars nerd, so I will yeah. fight you on these. Who's like last episode? <laughs> oh yeah, no, that Bobby set me off. That fucking like, set me off. He's like, I'm gonna punch you in the face about the Jedi. I was <laughs> like, I, I will sign up for Patreon to fight you. I know. I just want to watch it now. I need to sign up. <laughs> that made me laugh really hard. Um, all right. So, fun fact: After Ted Turner purchased the vast library inventory of classic MGM, he actually proposed colorization of black and white films in 1986. And then the 80s gets super weird with like Porky's. <laughs> and then uh, the good old was, raunchy comedies. Yes, it really launched the like raunchy teen sex film genre in 1982, and a lot of R-rated sex-drenched themes with horny dudes, lost virginity, creepy voyeurism, and a lot of naked ladies. And this mm, good old led- ladies. <laughs> yes, and it led to things like Screwballs, Revenge of the Nerds, and Hot Dog the Movie. <laughs> hey, Revenge of the Nerds is still good. Do you ever watch the Goldbergs? Yeah, I I, love- I haven't watched it in a while, but yeah, they did a Revenge of the Nerds episode, and it really cracked oh, me up. <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> John so Goodman good. is in that movie. The eighties were just golden, and then the eighties. You can't talk about the eighties without John Hughes. You have him just rocking the decade with these coming of age, rites of passage movies. Yes, the fist Curse in the Lord. air. Yeah, sixteen cat handles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Everybody knows John Hughes, so it was very Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller, Lance Trains and Automobiles. <sighs> They're all like so the best good. Thanksgiving movie ever. <laughs> yes, and then eighties also went super ham on sequels, which we kind of talked about in your segment. <laughs> oh God, I mean, not even just horror, but I mean, just well, okay. You also got like unnecessary ones. They were very rarely better than the original, and then they are very cheaply made. 
So they just oh, yeah. didn't really stand a chance. They were just trying to pump out movies. Because mm-hmm. at this time, they were still thinking, oh, more movies will make more money. But that's not the case if you suck. And then John Carpenter's highly successful low-budget slasher Halloween sparked a revival of horror films in the 80s. But we just touched on that, so I'm not going to go into that at all. And made right. some of the best 80s films ever. And the 80s also featured a lot of budding comedians. So you have John Belushi, Bill Murray, oh. Joan Rivers, Chris Farley, Robert Klein, Peter Boyle, oh. Alan Arkin, Fred Willard, John Belushi, or James Belushi, Shelley Long, and Martin Short. They were all featured at the Chicago Comic. Yes, all of them were, came out of Chicago in Second City. So a lot of these started out as stand-up comedians at Second City, and then they all kind of crossed over to movies. And we're talking and like SNL. gold. Yeah, the SNL people. We have Ghostbusters, National Lampoon, Coming to America, Caddyshack, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Just like mm-hmm. really, really great movies all coming out in the eighties, and which were like Trading Places. They're um, all like classic. my favorites. <laughs> I love um, 80s movies. Fuck. I uh, god, there there are just so many 80s comedies that are just like they still hold up. Uh, yeah, Caddyshack. Um oh, Lam- National Lampoon's Animal House is 78, but still that's another classic. Yeah. That kind of also started the raunchy com I think that is what started the raunchy comedy. Yeah, in the 80s you also have Mel Brooks, which we've talked about him a little bit, but yeah, he's just Baseballs. I mean, the amount of genius that came out of this man, I just can't. My favorite movies ever. I love Spaceballs. I love Robin Hood Men in Tights. Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies of the whole world. I can quote it just word for word. I don't word. think you know. <laughs> Fuck. I, I don't think that means what you think it Fuck. means. Fuck. I love Mandy Patinkin, and he just did a political thing and i laughed so hard because it was all like doom and gloom and then his wife's like dude stop being so scary say nice things and he's like trying really hard to be like hopeful (laughs) it's just so good yeah i love mel brooks he's just an icon of comedy Uh, yeah it's borderline it's parody but he knows what is an effective parody it's like this is the golden age of parody and like, I would um, argue that some of it kind of breaks the fourth wall too. Like Robin Hood, oh, Spaceballs, yeah, and like they all talk to the camera, so it's like the first time that I remember that like breaking the fourth wall. Like they're talking to you, they don't really know what's it's going just, on. It's very, it's so funny. I, the the whole scene in Spaceballs where they they get the videotape <laughs> out of the whole library of Mel Brooks movies and try to find the location of Lone Star is just. <laughs> That one of the best breaking of the fourth walls, like yeah. pre Deadpool. And the 80s yes. also popped up more themes like parenthood comedies. So you had your like, look who's talking, three minute baby. It also had more animation. So you had who framed Roger Rabbit and then kid comedies like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The greatest box office star in the early decade was Sylvester Stallone, who commanded $12 million of film mid decade. But he was replaced by Eddie Murphy, who, you know, had quite a run in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was replaced in late 80s by Arnold Schwarzenegger. My namesake. Fucking you, you don't know that. I mean, Dr. Conan. So that's Fucking a Predator that's is like one of the best Schwarzenegger movies out there. Get to the chava. Get to the chava. Yeah. I do love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I guess that one also counts as a horror film, but it's more like I just think it's an action. 
movie. Yeah. What's the one with Jamie Lee Curtis? I love that one. Oh, oh True Lies. Crime. True Lies, not True Crime. <laughs> that's a no, True Lies. Tough. That's fucking weird ass. Like, I, I can't believe that's James Cameron. Yes. Oh, I just, I love it. And so a lot of other stuff happened in the 90s, but we're going to just pretend like I talked about it. And now we're going to move on yeah. into the 90s. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Okay. So in 90s, cinema attendance was actually up for the first time. So pretty much the whole theme has just been like movie people putting on movies being like, oh shit, nobody's coming to the movies. But the 90s was the first time you're like, oh man, people are coming to the movies. And they had multi-screen cineplexes popping up all over the country. Things were looking pretty good. By the mid-1990s, excessive demands of megastars peaked for the first time. So now this is like super high-paid superstars like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tom Cruise, Sylvester Stallone, Mel Gibson. Adam Sandler. (laughs) Eddie Murphy, Kevin Costner, Harrison Ford, Robin Williams, R.I.P. I I love you. R.I.P. Yes. Jim Carrey, Demi Moore, Julia Roberts, and so many others. But this is the first time. I mean, I'm- I mean, the fact that Jim Carrey had three number ones in just 1994 alone for Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> The Mask, and Ace Ventura: Pet Detective—that's pretty cool. I mean, I grew up on I all those fucking him. movies. Yes, I I'm so glad he's on SNL right now because I've just missed him. I've just I've missed. Oh, and then we got. I don't know if you're going to mention it, but you got the big blockbusters like Twister and fucking Jurassic Park. Oh, these are all my favorites. Yeah, we're going to get to it. So the thing with the superstars, the 90s is the first time that actors started demanding things. Like, I know I'm worth it, so now you're going to pay me to be in your movies. So they demanded script approval. (laughs) This is the first time that popped up. (laughs) They had directorial and other casting choices. They approved the use of images for publicity, restrictions on film, scheduling, studio paid personal and entourage jet travel. They had various extras like personal gyms and trainers and limos. They had their choice of positioning for credits. So they'd be like, I demand to be first in the credits. Just a lot of bougie diva shit. Yes. They also had things put in their contracts about nudity and other body related issues. Uh, for example, like Jack Nicholson wouldn't agree to film during the Lakers basketball home games. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like him. And then you have Harrison Ford, Kevin Costner, Tom Cruise that made studios pay for their private jets. Like, just a lot of diva shit. And also in the 80s, VCRs were popping, and they were in almost every household. So three quarters of all households by 1991. I remember the VCR. That's I that's how too. old I am. <laughs> like I that's how old I am too. I would go th- like I had a huge VHS collection. I had it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I still have a couple right now, I don't but have any, and I don't know what happened to them. Probably like a yard sale or something. But I've um I made an effort to find the original Star Wars trilogy on VHS, the unedited ones. Oh, cool! Yeah. No, those are fucking expensive as shit. Yeah. And this is also the time that, like, rentals and purchases of videotapes were, like, actual big business. And they were making sales that were more than the ticket sales. So that's when, like, VHSs, people were like, oh, shit, there's actually money in this. So RIP Blockbuster. I remember you. RIP. Yeah, I wanted to work there. (laughs) That was my dream job. So this is also the first time that HDTV broadcast started. So it had higher resolution and improved sharpness and detail of images. So now feature films projected at home 
had a higher theater quality to them. We lived through so much. <laughs> I know. And this was just like one step closer to never having to leave your house or wear pants. It was good, good technological advances. By 1997, the first DVDs had emerged in stores uh, featuring sharper resolutions and better quality and durability. And you didn't have to rewind those son of a bitches. Remember telling you rented a goddamn VHS? You had to rewind that shit? Oh, Be yeah. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> Be kind. Rewind. I also, like, vividly remember my parents being like, what the fuck? We gotta replace all the VHSs now? Like... What what's gonna say that we don't have to replace the DVDs in like I, ten months? <laughs> I remember when um like the Godfather would be like two VHS tapes or fucking Titanic yeah. um the VHS <laughs> tapes or like Gone with the Wind I think was three I I don't know but um the fact that that I couldn't hold a lot of storage just meant a like yeah yeah. Like, movies are super important in my family. Like, I know I mentioned that before, but it was, like, the thing that we all loved so much. Even when my dad mm-hmm. passed away when we were going through his stuff, he had, like, hundreds of DVDs. He does, yeah. like, anything he loved. He was like, I have to own it. So a lot of the DVDs yeah. I have now are from my dad. But it just, it was, uh, you know, you can actually store them easier. Yeah. <laughs> You can have a whole lot more of them. It was a whole lot easier. So it was, and uh, you can watch like special features if you're yes. actually interested. And that's the best part. I love that. I love the special features, the behind the scenes, the blooper reels. Mm-hmm. Oh, those were always fun. They made me laugh. <laughs> In 1992, a new technology dubbed Dolby Digital was introduced to moviegoers, and Batman Returns. Oh. Boo! And then again in Jurassic Park. I listen to movie scores as my concentration music, which is almost entirely Game of Thrones and Jurassic Park. So it's always in my head. I love Jurassic Park mm. so much. And John Williams is an American treasure. Oh, yes. Oh, I love Jurassic Park. I saw in theaters and it just blew my fucking mind. It's that of- was... Oh, it was such that a That was one of the movies I used to watch a lot on VHS. Yeah, it was so um, that, good. Uh, that is my favorite book as well. It, which, when you read the book, it's a lot more violent than <laughs> yeah. in the movie. I don't know, and I'm glad that that's still kind of an ongoing franchise right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ooh, we'll get into that. We're going to talk about the new one. So, the first new Hollywood studio to pop up in decades would be DreamWorks ever heard of it <laughs> oh, oh oh that whole <laughs> fiasco yeah so it popped up in 1994 it's the brainchild of steven spielberg ex-disney producer jeffrey katzenberg and film producer yeah. david geffen and so the first release was the peacemaker in 1997 with george clooney and nicole kidman and then their first really big picture to pop up was saving private ryan in 1998 god it's such a good movie oh, it's so good Oh, Such so an intense good. opening mm-hmm. to a movie. I love Tom Tom Hanks. Oh, love him so much. He's an American oh. treasure as he well. He is. He is. He is our uh, just collective dad. Just love him. Yes. By the end of the decade, most studios had formed independent film divisions. So, like Fox has Searchlight, and that kind of created like an avenue for more artsy, edgy, and serious social issue themes without like major Hollywood stars. 
The best paid female actress of the 90s was Julia Roberts. And the biggest oh male God. star was Tom Cruise. But Tom I, Hanks was second. That's all that matters. <laughs> Tom Hanks was her close second. I don't know. I think Tom Hanks is, or Tom Cruise is overrated. There, I said it. I'm going to get a lot of emails, I'm sure. But I'm right there with you. I just don't get it. I don't get it. And then the trend towards sequels from previous decades did continue, but Hollywood was also attempting to deal with more serious themes. And these included homelessness, the Holocaust, AIDS, feminism, racism, and they were really trying to deal with things that were actually happening in the 90s. So this is the first time that people are not doing escapism, per se, but actually trying to deal with what's happening right now. One of the big hits of the time was Forrest Gump, 1994. Yeah. And it's kind of looking back at Vietnam through the eyes of, you know, Forrest Gump. And it was also the first time that they used special effects to kind of place a person into actual historical things so like Forrest is meeting the presidents and he's in war and stuff so that was the first time that popped up in movies and black filmmakers including John Singleton, Spike Lee and Maria Van is it Peebles? Peebles or Peebley? Okay I was like I don't want to say that wrong. They were making a huge impact. 23 year old Singleton marked his directorial debut with the semi-autobotic oh my god that's not a word autobiographical Boys in the Hood in 1991 at the time of its release, the film was the highest grossing black theme film ever, earning 10 times its budget. So that's wow. I didn't know it was that much. I knew it was, I knew it was like really impactful, but I didn't know it made that much money. And then I the- hate to uh, be a bother, but I had to drop out. Oh. Child's getting unruly. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's throwing stuff now. I gotta oh, go. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so, sorry, guys. But uh, I gotta drop out. Parenting. Always Parenting. fun. Parenting. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. Be a dad. All right. Thank you All for right, joining us. Okay, bye. Oh, bye. Okay. So, in the 80s into 90s, female directors were exerting greater influence and demonstrating their skill in films of industry. So, you had Barbara Streisand with her film Yentl in 1983. And then he had Penny Marshall with, with a comedy big that also had Tom Hanks. We love Tom Hanks. And then you had movies like Wayne's World, which was also a female director, which I did not realize. So that's amazing. Thelma and Louise ended up being the first real feminist buddy road film that popped up in 1991. And then there also seemed to be a significant shift towards action films in the 90s. Most of the biggest and popular films were not dialogue-based at this time or character-driven. It was just all about action. So you had the movie The Fugitive, which, you know, the only thing I remember from the movie is that I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. That's all I remember. And then you have Mission Impossible in 1996, derived from the popular TV series. And then Sylvester Stallone was in Demolition Man in 1993, and that was also a big hit. And then also Face Off, just another reason to mention Nicolas Cage. (laughs) In the 90s, many of the greatest box office hits of all time in the top 20 were made and marketed with sophisticated publicity and merchandising campaigns. Many of these are my favorites. Now I'm wondering if I've just fallen victim to marketing. I'm going to say that I'm an individual and I have good taste and it has nothing to do with this. But anywho, it was Jurassic Park in 1993, Mrs. Doubtfire in 1993, Force Gump, Lion King, Twister, Titanic, which 
also became the highest grossing and most successful film of pretty much all time. And it actually like surpassed Gone with the Wind. Blows my mind. It grossed 1.835 billion. That's with a B. B-b-b-billion. And it was the most expensive film in Hollywood history. And they spent $200 million to make this movie. It's crazy. So it tied with Ben-Hur in 1959 with 11 Oscar wins. Fucking Titanic. I love that movie. And then in 1997, you have Men in Black, which also fucking love that movie. And then you have also Jurassic Park, The Lost World, which not the best, but still dug it because dinosaurs. And then 1998, you have Armageddon. And then in 1999, you have Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And it was a box office success, although a lot of people didn't really dig it because it was just pretty much all visual effects and not a whole lot of storytelling. But that's just a rant for another time. But I've read that other places, so I know it's not just me. And then 1999, you have the best movie ever made, and that's The Mummy fight me i love that movie it's so good <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies ever and then in 1999 you also have toy story 2 and it's a sequel that actually surpassed the original which you don't see that happening every day and then the biggest box office hit was 294 million and it was the psychological thriller the sixth sense which we talked about a little bit Around this time, violence started accompanying a number of films, including those of the emerging writer-director Quentin Tarantino, who was a self-promoting video store clerk who demonstrated his exciting self-taught original filmmaking, which he's just honestly a genius now. He's known for, like, violent sex profanity, and his first film was Reservoir Dogs in 1992. Tarantino is one of those directors, you know his film. If you're watching it and you don't know who did it, you know it's his. So he's very original. And also the 90s kind of perked up with the musicals. And the first big musical in forever was Evita with Madonna. Don't cry about me, Argentina. I love musicals. I could sing all of them but I'll spare you that because I can't sing. And this decade had some of the best animated features. There's Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Anastasia. There was also the first feature film from 20th Century Fox, The Prince of Egypt. So Horror King Wes Craven made an unprecedented comeback with Scream in 1996, which, fuck yeah, good movie, but we've already gone into that. And then Woody Allen was huge, but fuck that guy. Don't want to talk about him, so I'm not going to. Jim Carrey became a superstar with Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, Ace Ventura, The Truman Show, and Man on the Moon, and so many more. So he really was hitting his stride in the 90s. And then you have Kevin fucking Smith. He had Clerks, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, all amazing fucking films. I just love freaking Kevin Smith. And now we're in the new millennium with the year 2000. It began with Y2K, everybody's terrified that everything was just, the world was going to end. I remember my mom let me have a drink of champagne because the world was going to end and why not? Ah, <laughs> oh, good times. And then, you know, immediately after in 2001, we have 9-11. So the world is just struggling. And then you have natural disasters like the tsunami of 2004. There's Hurricane Katrina in 2005. And then the decade ends with the financial meltdown of the economy. 
so happy if this was all in the formative years of my life. Just devastation after devastation. The decade was also overwhelmed by the ascendance of Google, Amazon, YouTube, the blogosphere, Craigslist. There's new social media networks like MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, etc. You had reality TV for the first time. So you have Survivor and American Idol. You have Netflix popping up back when you had DVDs and you had to like ask for them to send you a new one. That was, that was the time, right? And then you have new tech. You have laptops that are getting smaller and smaller. iPods, Skype, Hulu, eBooks, Blackberries, smartphones. Everything's getting, like, technology is moving so fast in this decade. And television moved from analog to digital broadcasting. We have flat screen TVs now. So we don't have those big, bulky, asshole TVs that we used to have. And video retail stores converted to DVDs. And then dial-up connections became broadband. So no more of that annoying sound and not being able to use your phone. But none of us actually have landline phones unless you're my mother who refuses to give up her landline. And so the 2000s was also marked by war. We were stuck in a war that lasted a really long time. And a lot of times when it comes to that, you know, the current headline events go into a period of declining popularity and people don't want to watch that because they're living it. They're seeing it on TV every day. The second Gulf War, Operation Iraqi Freedom, was soon the source of Hollywood interpretations, but it appeared that American audiences did not want to see realistic war dramas because it was on TV every day. Why would you want to see that? I know I didn't watch any of those movies because I was just exhausted seeing what was happening in real life. By mid-decade, the proliferation of low-budget horror films with grisly torture as their main theme became really popular. So you had Hostel in 2005, Wolf Creek, Devil's Rejects, Saw 1, and Saw 2. And it was really reflective of the wartime era's main concerns. So global war on terror, waterboarding, torture, all that jazz. Really depressing shit. The first major business deal of the 20th century was the American online purchase of Time Warner Inc. for an estimated $182 billion. Remember AOL? Instant messaging. Oh, I feel really old. Okay, in 2005, Viacom's Paramount Pictures acquired the 11-year-old DreamWorks for approximately $1.6 billion. The standalone studio demise marked the end of the Hollywood era. So DreamWorks ended its troubled two-and-a-half-year partnership with Paramount. Did not work out. A few months later, in 2009, it realized its intentions to reinvent itself as an independent company. It signed a long-term, exclusive 30-picture distribution deal with Disney for five years, and future films would be released by Disney's Touchstone Pictures division. In 2009, Walt Disney Company purchased comic book and action hero company Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion. That's a lot of money. I can't even comprehend that much money. Marvel was the comic book company behind X-Men, Spider-Man, etc., etc. In the later half of the decade, Hollywood studios realized that they could leverage the popularity of social networking sites like Facebook and Twitter to market films and they could encourage positive word of mouth, raise awareness, and stimulate ticket sales. So millions of Facebook fans signed on to be followers of the romantic vampire Twilight series. So they created an official Twitter page and established it for the film, and they got people into the movie because of that. Independent horror films started popping up, like Paranormal Activity in 2009, 
It was filmed in only 10 days and had a budget of $15,000, but it was a huge hit. I mean, people really liked it. I remember watching it on the internet before it actually got in theaters, and that actually creeped me out more than the theatrical version because it didn't have music, but whatever. So it earned $107.9 million. So that's a $720,000 return on their investment. This was the first time the documentary films were actually met with interest. So we had Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine in 2002, and it just swept the awards. It won for the Keynes Film Festival, and it also won some documentary film awards for, like, Writer Guilds of America. And he did really well, and he was only surpassed by his own movie, the R-rated election year film Fahrenheit 9-11 in 2004. Al Gore's Climate Change, Global Warming, Exposé, and Inconvenient Truth in 2006 grossed $24.1 million, and it set a record for the third highest grossing non-IMAX concert political documentary ever made at the time. Um, that movie traumatized me because there's a moment where he's like a polar bear is on a like a glacier and the glacier is melting, and then the polar bear doesn't have any more ice, and then he drowns. It was a really rough time for me. That movie, I can't. And also, they're really pushing the blockbusters in this decade, too. They also had sequels, reboots, because that makes money. But this era was the time where people are really starting to pump out the book movies. So you have, like, Tolkien and Rowling, which, fuck her. Jesus. And then, like, C.S. Lewis and stuff. It could easily be said that some of the biggest films of the decade were based on adaptations of previous artistic works. So with books, you have Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Narnia, The Twilight Saga, Brokeback Mountain, etc. Then you have comic books. You have X-Men, Spider-Man, all the Dark Knight series coming out. TV shows, you have Sex in the City. TV movies like High School Musical. Broadway plays like Chicago. Rides at a theme park like... Pirates of the Caribbean, and then Broadway musicals like Hairspray that came out in 2007. Disney Animated Princess and the Frog in 2009 was a modern retelling of the classic story. It featured the studio's first ever black female protagonist, an African-American princess named Tiana. And I love that movie because she's the first Disney princess to have a job. I stand by that. I love it. And then, although PG and PG-13 films are generally proven to be the biggest moneymakers, this decade proved that semi-offensive R-rated comedies were really going to make bank. So this is your, you know, bromances, your sex nudity. So like American Pie, Van Wilder type movies. In 2008, Will Smith was the highest paid Hollywood actor earning $80 million, while second place went to Johnny Depp with $72 million. Forbes also reported that 23-year-old Kira Knightley became the second highest paid Hollywood actress with earning of $32 million in 2007 for her role in Pirates of the Caribbean. And then Cameron Diaz was right behind her because she was on Shrek. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the highest grossing actress in the 2000s was Emma Watson for her six live-action Harry Potter films, which earned $1.7 billion domestically and $5.4 billion worldwide. That is so much money. And then likewise, her male co-star Daniel Radcliffe was the highest average grossing box office star in the decade, averaging $285 million per film. 
Can you imagine having that much money? And then this is also the decade that performance capture was popping up. So those are the dot censored covered spandex bodysuits that you see with like a helmet. And this became really big with like Lord of the Rings. So Schmeagle. The decade of the 2000s also saw advancements in 3D and explosion of releases of both 3D films and IMAX films. So now we're in the 2010s. We're getting close. (laughs) According to the LA Times, in late September 2011, Hollywood's business model was poised to make a revolutionary shift due to a rapid 40% decline in home entertainment revenue. The newest switch would be to video on-demand services and the acceleration of digital delivery of movies over the internet. Netflix. So they're trying to get as many deals as they can for pre-existing movies, but this is also when they all started making their original movies. So now, like, Netflix has its own, like, really big stars doing movies for Netflix that aren't going to theaters. Again, you cannot have to leave your house, and you don't have to wear pants, which has been great for this pandemic, because none of us can leave our homes. In one of the biggest mergers of really all time, Disney purchased Fox for $52.4 billion. Jesus, the amount of money being thrown around in this episode. So the only thing I really got out of that whole situation is that means that Deadpool is now a Disney princess. Fight me. That's how I see it. Another big first in 2018, Black Panther became the first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. The domestic box office total for the superhero film was $700.5 million. It scored three Oscar wins for Best Costume Design, Best Production Design, and Best Original Score. And it was Marvel's first Black superhero standalone film. Black Panther is so incredibly special just as a comic book, but the movie itself just blew everybody away. And just think about this whole generation of kids growing up with a black superhero. It's just fucking amazing. It won for best production design. And Hannah Bachelor became the first African-American to win in this category. And the winner for best costume design, Ruth Carter, was also the first black person to win the Oscar in her category as well. So this just completely just historical in so many ways. And RIP Javik Bozeman. He was just the best. I saw a thing that in some movie, I can't, I'm blanking out what movie it was. There was a movie where he found out that his co-star wasn't making as much as him because she was a woman. So he took a pay cut so they could make the same mu- like amount. Like, holy crap, who does that? Nobody does that. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe began the first film to gross more than $16 billion worldwide with the release of The Infinity War. And then after the release of three other blockbusters in 2019, it reached a total of 23 films in the franchise. So you have Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man Far From Home. The franchise topped all other franchises with a total of $22.5 billion, and it's still growing. So, in 2003, 12 Years a Slave won Best Picture, and this marked the first time in Oscar history that a movie directed and produced by a Black filmmaker, Steve McQueen, won Best Picture. However, in 2015, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists, Scientists, Sciences, was called out for a lack of diversity among its voting members and among the 20 performers nominated for awards. There were no women in the year directing or writing categories, And of all the 20 of the year's acting contenders, 
They were all white. There were no non-white contenders for the first time in the Oscars since 1995. The push was to pressure industry executives to greenlight a more diverse and inclusive movie pipeline. So, fuck yes, we love some inclusivity. Studios were also proven that women were vastly underrepresented in the film's making industry. So that's on screen and off screen. And so in 2017, Wonder Woman, a superhero movie with Warner Brothers and DC Comics, was the first one directed by a woman, Patty Jenkins, and it became the biggest blockbuster ever directed by a woman. That was a really good movie. And there's also controversy still surrounding the existence of an ongoing wage gap. So a lot of times women are not making nearly as much as men in movies. So now it's finally becoming an issue and people are realizing it. So a lot of people describe like the 2010s as like the woke era, but I don't think that's necessarily fair. Like people say it like it's a bad thing, but I think we're just finally realizing the things that need to change and pushing for that change. In the latter part of the decade, the Me Too and Time's Up movement began and it was calling attention to all the abuses in the industry. In 2018, 300 Hollywood women signed an initiative known as Time's Up to fight sexual harassment. Charges in 2017 and 2018 against Dickhole Harvey Weinstein. Fuck that guy. And it brought to light a history of long sexual abuse that was inflicted on so many women and some men in the industry. A number of other alleged accusations of sexual abuse and harassment were brought to light when questions you know, were raised about convicted sex offenders, Roman Polanski, Bill Cosby, Dustin Hoffman, you know, writers like James Tobach and fucking Kevin Spacey and so many others. You know, I just want to say fuck every single one of those garbage humans. They use their money and power to intimidate and prey on other people. And then the only reason they all feel bad is because they got caught. And then they were like, oh, fuck, cancel culture. Well, no, don't be a dick. Don't do that. A little lighter, YouTube was blowing up about 2005, and it's become another platform where creators are making films on YouTube or they're using it to promote their movies. So, having like video extras, behind the scenes, making of clips, interviews, etc. So, it's become another way to make movies. In late 2012, the Walt Disney Company purchased Lucas Films for $4.3 billion. And this kind of worked out for them because Lucasfilm hadn't really produced anything since Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, the thing that we shall never speak of. And that really launched the new era of Star Wars films. And one of the cool things about 2010s is this new generation of millennials. Finally, something we're good at. We were all embracing musicals for the first time. So this was the most amount of musicals that have been like pumped into like a decade ever. And we had everything from like Muppets to Les Mis to The Greatest Showman to like La La Land. It was just a great time. Love musicals. And now we are at the 2020s, which is fresh and new, but it's plagued by a plague. COVID-19 pandemic has had a substantial impact on the film industry. So 2020 has basically been shut down across the world to varying degrees. Cinemas and movie theaters have closed. Festivals been canceled or postponed. And film releases have been moved to feature dates or have been delayed indefinitely. Due to cinemas and movie theaters closing, the global box office has dropped by billions of dollars and streaming has become more popular. While the stock of film exhibitors has also dropped dramatically. 
Many blockbusters originally scheduled to be released between March and November has been postponed or canceled around the world, and a lot of film productions have been halted. Early home releases have been a thing, so Frozen 2 was originally planned to be released on June 26, 2020, but it was moved up to March 15th at the beginning of the pandemic. And CEO Bob Chapik explained that this was because the film's, quote, powerful themes of perseverance and importance of family. <laughs> On March 16th, Universal announced that The Invisible Man, The Hunt, and Emma were going to be available through premium video on demand as early as March 20th. So you could buy it with, you know, a ticket of $19.99. So I guess it's like based on your household would have several tickets, which this is the first time that's really happened. And that's been interesting to see that kind of go through. Trolls World Tour was released directly to video on demand on April 10th. And it was also, like, accompanied by a couple of limited theatrical screenings in the U.S., but only in drive-in cinemas. Film productions and key outbreak zones have changed their schedules, locations have been changed, or they were shut down completely. Uh, one of the biggest of the first production shutdowns was Mission Impossible 7, which was being filmed in Venice, Italy, when the crew was sent home and the sets were just left behind and abandoned. Tom Hanks became infected with the coronavirus when he was on the set of the new Elvis Presley biopic in Queensland, Australia. It was shut down and everybody in production was sent home unless they were infected and they were quarantined in Australia. An industry task force of studio unions submitted a report on June 1st, 2020, with various recommendations on health and safety guidelines for cast and crew productions. These guidelines include regular testing, wearing face coverings at all times when they're not filming, actors practicing social distancing when possible, reducing or modifying scenes involving close contact, and recommending the cast being performed via, you know, video conferencing and Zoom rather than in person. And I've seen, like, pictures popping up of movies and TV shows in in-between scenes or basically in, like, plexiglass coverings. So... They're all trying. <laughs> On June 8, 2020, Governor of California Gavin Newsom announced that film productions in the state could resume on or after June 12th. To resume, filming productions would require to obtain approval from county public health officials, and then they could evaluate the conditions. So a lot of movies have gone back. Like Jurassic World Dominion spent $5 million on health product protocols to go back to the set. Avatar has also gone back. Um, they only need a 14-day isolation, so they spent less money going back. And then Batman was back in production, and then it was shut down again because Batman got COVID. The irony. So yeah, COVID has really fucked up movies, and I think this is going to be something that really affects movies for this decade because everything's having to change. Um, I've seen some articles popping up about how some movies are really close to finishing. So it'll be the first movies that were completely filmed during, during quarantine or completely in isolation and such. So that should be really interesting. And it's just wild times. 2020, we only got almost a year in and who the hell knows what's going to happen next. <laughs> so that's the history of movies I've done. As much as I've left out so much because it's just so much. It could be its own podcast, but 
I'm really interested in seeing what happens with movies. I know that I'm a huge moviegoer and it's been really sad for me that I haven't been able to go to a theater. And some of the new movies that have been coming out, it's been kind of weird to see them at home. But I think everything's changing and we'll just see how it goes from there. So, anywho, thanks for listening to Movies Part 3. Thanks, Jolly J, for joining me. All right. So, next week will be Theme Parks Part 1. And I will have special guest History Goes Bump. I'm really excited about that. And if you guys want to watch this live or get all the benefits and all the good shit that comes with being a Patreon, that's patreon.com slash historicalifepod. And also, there's still time. Please send us spooky stories. Ashley and I are going to go live on October 24th, and we're going to read stories for our extra AF. And definitely send in your scary stories so we can read them. And that will be October 24th at 8 p.m. Central Time. We're going to be in costume, and this will be live for everybody. So it'll be like if you're Patreon, um, so you get to comment along and do all that fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, so we have merch October 21st, which is coming up. We'll have 20% off everything in the merch site. That's shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And I think that's it. Thank you guys so much for listening. See you next week. Okay. Bye.